Hi, and we are excited to welcome you to a very special episode of Tech Talk today being hosted, uh, actually jointly hosted with Arye Lightstone and Michael Fragan. And we're going to be very excited to have two very special guests on with us from two incredibly different walks of life, but uh, are going to bring color, if you will, to the world of tech and entrepreneurism in a way that uh, I believe some of our guests in the past have not uh, with their uh, vast backgrounds and uh, a myriad of various different uh, experiences. You know, we're sitting here at the the cusp, if you will, of the secular holidays, and uh, I've always found this personally the best time to meet with people who are what I'll call the titans of industry as pretty much everybody else uh, hangs up and, and closes down for the week, 10 days, whatever it might be. So here's a great opportunity for those of us whose kids are in yeshiva or day school or wherever else it might be, obviously, to increase opportunities for learning Torah and, you know, <laughs> other good things like that. But many of us are not taking vacations, hence yeshiva break, which happens later. <clears throat> I find that this is a great time to meet with people whose time is normally uh, so tied up and so challenged that uh, that uh, there are great days uh, to meet with people. And, and actually, some of our guests are going to take advantage of this uh, slower time that uh, they wouldn't normally be able to get on and to spend 20, 30 minutes with us. So we're pretty excited about that uh, today. So... As we head into the uh, you know, secular holiday season, the end of 2013, the beginning of 2014, it, it is important to sort of look back and see some of the accomplishments that have occurred over the course of this year. And one that I think uh, might not make the top 10 list uh, in terms of uh, world news, but I think is incredibly important, is uh, when Waze was being bid on by, uh, by prominent American companies. So Waze, if you don't have Waze on your phone, you certainly should get it. It's, uh, it's an outstanding uh, app. It's an outstanding application that enhances uh, driving, driving with traffic, giving different routes, uh, core updates. It's really uh, phenomenal. Uh, but when they were being bid on by uh, prominent American companies, one of the uh, components that they had was uh, they insisted on being able to keep their core team in Israel. And that was very interesting when an American company as prominent as Facebook is throwing you know, over a billion dollars at you for an idea to be able to take a stand and say, not only are we not looking to take the cash and run, if you will, but to be able to say this was a technology, this was an idea developed here, it's been orchestrated and run here, and we'd like to keep it um, here. That's an incredibly important value. And, and you've seen, I think, with two or three other acquisitions that have occurred now in the fourth quarter of uh, 2013, you've seen a similar stand. So the precedent was was set by Waze. Waze was ultimately bought by Google and was uh, it is able to keep their team uh, the majority of the team there in Israel, and I think that's a pretty important, pretty important component. And we're going to have a chance in the second half of this hour to speak to uh, another uh, revolutionary uh, technologist from Israel. In the first half of the show, we're going to speak about something that I think is a little bit more um, germane to most of our audience, and uh, that's where different parts of technology sort of get lost. I, I know you can sit around, uh, you know, the table, you can have a conversation, and and sort of wonder, you know, how does technology apply to me? I don't know how to program. I don't know how to build an app. I, I you know, uh, GPS, what do all these, like, initials mean? It doesn't make all that much sense to me. Uh, but there are parts of technology that I think are relevant to us each and every day uh, in our own homes. And the guest that we're going to have on momentarily, his name is Avi Esses. Uh, Avi is the founder of a company called Lightwave Energy, and where he has and he's going to walk us through what that means in a minute. But where he has uh, revolutionized or been part of a revolution is 
and how technology affects our daily life and the consumption of things that we, we don't even give a second thought to. Uh, before we go and we welcome Avi onto the line, I'd like to mention that you are listening to the Nachum Siegel Network. You can listen to us at jmandtheam.org. And we are sponsored, as all Tech Talks are sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them at adorama.com or visit them in person as I have on 42 West 18th Street here in New York City. Uh, Avi, are you on the line? I am. Hi, Avi. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Ari? I'm doing great. I was just explaining to the audience that, uh, you know, we're taking advantage of this sort of end of the year cycle where we have a chance to speak to people who would normally be a little bit too busy uh, to give us 20, 30 minutes in order to go ahead and tell us about some of the revolutionary things that they're doing. And we're very appreciative that you've taken this time out uh, to go ahead and share with us. So, uh, so thank you, Avi, for being on the line with us. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so for, for our audience that's out there, look, I've known you for, for quite a while, and I've known you mostly in the philanthropic uh, world. Um, and uh, it's been a pleasure to sort of see you evolve into different industries and, and to really be at the, the precipice of the cutting edge. Uh, before we get into lightwave energy, can, can you walk through maybe two of your, what I like to call previous lives, two of your previous careers, sort of, uh, sort of what you've done as an entrepreneur? Um, sure. Well, I initially started my career in the garment business, uh, like every good Syrian boy uh, is trained to do. And, um, you know, going in different um, different fields of clothing, uh, whether it be ladies, men's, um, children's, um, I saw I saw a niche um, in a in a specific market which was geared towards uh, basketball. Uh, there was a company that was existing um, back in the late 90s that um, was called and one and it was a pretty hot uh, pretty hot apparel company but it was it was very pricey and it was being sold at the upscale stores footlocker uh, champs sports um, you know the, the more the upscale type stores and there was really nothing uh, that was being produced for the mass market so seeing an opportunity I created a brand called Rimrocka which was a men's and boys apparel company, um, basically going after the same the same looks, but just as a much more affordable price. Um, and you know, we were fortunate enough to to build a brand into um, I would say a nationally recognized brand. Uh, we had some sponsorships with uh, some NBA players. Um, you know, we did a sponsorship with uh, with the New Jersey Nets at the time. Uh, with their kid dancers, uh, were wearing a product. Uh, you know, we were, we did some uh, product placement in some movies, and uh, it was a pretty exciting time. You know, to to break into um, you know chain stores such as Walmart, uh, Kmart, uh, and they did well. You know, they did well with the product, and uh, from that point, you know, as the thing started to grow, it got a little bit too um, too much for me to handle. So I ended up selling off the company to a um, to a large children's uh, apparel manufacturer. And they kind of took it to the next level. Uh, you know, they were sponsoring uh, teams at the time. The, the CBA, which was a basketball uh, league, which no longer exists, uh, they were like the uniform sponsors and stuff like that. So it was, it was a pretty exciting time, um, especially for me being, you know, pretty big sports fan. I got to, you know, rub elbows with uh, some of the NBA's top talent, you know, going to all-star games uh, and just all-star parties and stuff like that. So. It was kind of like a perk to the business, but uh, more importantly, it was just, you know, looking for an opportunity, seeing an opportunity, and just uh, taking a shot at it. Now, so Avi, that was... I remember the very first purchase I was able to make after Hanukkah when I was eight years old, and my grandmother took me to the mall and said, and my bubby said, you can go ahead and buy whatever you'd like, and I wanted a bike, so I went to the bike store, 
And I picked out the bike, and I brought it home and showed it to my dad. And my dad said, why did you pick that bike? And I said, because it had the coolest water bottle. Um, and uh, since then, he hasn't put me in charge, really, of any major purchases. And, and that makes a fair amount of sense. But those of us who know you, Avi, are curious, did you start Rimrocker because you're a basketball player and a basketball fan? Or did you start it as a business that you really wanted to grow? Uh, it was really started from a business um you know, point of view, just just seeing that there was so much action at the upscale market, and you know, knowing that majority of the of the country, the parents in the country can't afford those type of um, you know that type of clothing for their children, um, it would just make sense to take it and just bring it down to a, a, an affordable level. Uh, you know, having it distributed through the mass market uh, retailers. You know, which they which they would be shopping at, say a Walmart and a Kmart. So it was more it was more of a business point of view, and it was just really a, an added you know special benefit for me. You know, loving basketball and playing, and um, you know being so enthusiastic about the game that I that I got to be involved in such a uh, you know such a company that you know was uh, was affiliated and stood for things that I really enjoyed. So it was uh, it was a very good time for me. Right, so it added, if it wasn't the reason why you started, which certainly doesn't sound like it was, and that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, it certainly added additional uh, passion to show up to work because you never knew what opportunity might be around the corner there and, and again, who you might be, have the opportunity to rub elbows with. Is that a fair statement? Yep, Okay. Exactly. Okay, so that that has nothing to do with Tech Talk. To me, it just it's, it's important to paint the picture for our audience that uh, that this wasn't necessarily the career that you're currently in and excelling in wasn't what you grew up thinking that you were necessarily going to do. So how did you get involved with energy? And you'll define for us in a couple minutes, if you don't mind, what life, light wave energy really does. Yeah, so I was actually um, coming off a different venture. Um, I was actually in the, in the custom cabinet business. Uh, and then when the real estate market um, and the housing market, you know, went down um, in 2007, 2008, um, things in the cabinet business got pretty rough. You know, people weren't looking to renovate their homes. They weren't certainly not looking to install high-quality, um, expensive cabinetry. So I was introduced to a gentleman um, who had a energy efficiency company, and he was um, installing, um, you know, energy-efficient lights and taking out, you know, older, you know, energy-guzzling lights, so to speak. And based on, um, you know, my contacts that I have in the business world, um, after meeting with him, you know, we decided that it would be beneficial for me to try to call some of my contacts to see if they were interested in, in his service. And, um, you know, slowly but surely, I started learning, um, you know, what exactly constituted uh, savings, what, what needed to be put in, as opposed to other different types of fixtures. I basically learned the business. Um, and, you know, this, this gentleman was kind of like a one-man show. Uh, he had a small company, and, you know, he was just, uh, we were just coasting along, and then an opportunity came up um, where we were able to join a, a program that Con Edison was just launching where they were actually paying uh, 70% of the cost for a business that would, that would be interested in upgrading their, their business, their store, their um, warehouse, whatever it might be. 
So let, let, and, me pause, uh, let me pause you there for one second, because I remember when you first explained this to me, it boggled my mind. And, and before I get to the specific question, I just want to remind everybody that we're listening to NachumSiegel.com and JMNTheAM.org. We are live with Tech Talk, Arye Lightstone, and Avi Esses. Avi Esses from Lightwave Energy and sponsored, as always, by Adorama. You can find them at Adorama.com or visit them in person, 42 West 18th Street here in New York. So, Avi, Con Ed is offering a incentive for somebody to go ahead and to, and to get into more efficient uh, energy. So, to me, it strikes me as a little bit strange. If they get into more, if your customer, whoever that might be, a grocery store, now starts using more efficient fixtures, more efficient lighting, more efficient whatever else it would be, won't they at the end be paying less to Con Ed? They will, but you got to think of it from Con Ed's point of view. Yeah, what is that um, point of view? Okay, so, you know, several years back there was a major power outage, and the reason for that outage was because the grid was not equipped to handle the surge at the time. So Con Ed has two options. They can either build a new generation plant at the cost of a billion or two billion dollars, or they can take uh, a certain amount of money that's been earmarked to actually reduce the consumption and reduce the usage that people are using in order to take the pressure off the grid. So for them, uh, it was it was pretty much a, a no-brainer to not have to start investing in, in new power plants that are going to be years down the line. Might as well give incentives to businesses to reduce what they're actually doing, which will basically accomplish the same thing, take power off the grid. So when you walk into a business, so there's the business, there's the energy um, professional, which is you, your company, there's Con Ed as a party. Are there any other parties, or those are sort of the three parties that come into play? Does the, does the government get involved, state level, national level? Well, there is one agency called the Public Service Commission. They kind of facilitate and they kind of oversee the program. The way it works is that anyone that's a Con Ed customer, on their bill, um, there's a line item which says SBC, mm-hmm. and that stands for the Systems Benefits Charge. Most most people don't know that they pay into this um, this fund, but what it is, it's a fund where they take all this money that's paid into the Systems Benefits Charge, and they use it to allocate to, to programs such as this. So the Public Service Commission is the one that kind of monitors the money and um, issues the contracts to Con Edison to say, okay, you know, you collected X amount of money. We're going to give you back uh, X amount to use towards these type of programs. And then it's Con Edison's responsibility to, to take that money. And with the amount of money, they say, we're going to give you this money. We expect you to reduce the, the usage by X amount. So with the, with the amount of money that they're allocated, they have to also hit certain goals, um, which is a number that the Public Service Commission gives them. And if they don't hit those goals, there are actually penalties that are involved. Interesting. And, and there's really another party that's involved. At the end of the day, when we consume less energy, that, that's a net benefit probably for our environment as well. Absolutely. I mean, green, you know, uh, the big initiative was, was going green and green technology, which is also a, you know, a big reason that things got uh, pushed up very quickly with these types of, these types of programs. So it, let's just put our put ourselves in the in the you know the ears and the minds of of the, our audience that might be driving somewhere right now, and they own a warehouse or an office building you know somewhere in in the middle of Long Island, uh, and they wanted to get in touch with you. You first of all give them your your contact, the best way to reach your company. But then secondly, sort of walk through what opportunities exist that Lightwave Energy is really pioneering um, for that customer. So when we first got into the energy efficiency space uh, in 2009, it was mostly fluorescence and compact fluorescence that were the new technology, the new you know talk of the town. 
But over the last year or two, um, LEDs have really, really taken off, and they've become a lot more affordable. So the, the next evolution, which we're currently working on now, is actually taking those fluorescents that we installed back in 2009 and 2010 and actually replacing them with LED um, bulbs and actual fixtures that will reduce the consumption even even more. And the big benefit to this is that they're actually lasting um, way longer than the fluorescents. You know, you can have an LED bulb that can last you, you know, if it's on 24-7, it'll last you for about five years. So, so businesses that have um, a lot of fixtures, let's say hospitals, for example, where the fixtures are on, the lights are on 24-7, they're loving it because imagine not having to go around a whole hospital and change bulbs and ballasts and this and that. You know, they, they need people on staff just to do that. This will actually save them money, not only in the energy on their on their energy supply, but also save them in uh, which is deferred maintenance. You know, years and years of not having people on staff, not having to buy materials, not having to buy ballasts, not having to buy bulbs. So it's really it's really an extraordinary uh, opportunity, and and the initial feedback has been you know pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, I I know that uh, I, you know you showed me one of the shuls in the neighborhood in the five towns that had just installed these new LED lights, and if you haven't seen these fixtures, I mean they're, they're a blow away. It's uh, you know it's one of these things that you take for granted. You walk into a room and it's lit. Um, how well lit? I guess you have to depends on the difference in between what you're comparing it to. But you walked in and it, it, it was like the middle of the day. It was awesome, and you're telling me that they're not going to have to change these fixtures for at least five years and rough savings over those five years. If you can give me a percentage for using LED lighting, do you have any idea what that might be? Well, just to get back to the to the five years, the five years are talking about a facility that's on 24/7. I mean, you talk about a shul that's you know on a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours at night. You know, and on Shabbos, I mean, you're talking probably at least 10 years of not having to change anything. So, I was assuming you know, the ba- I was assuming the base managers that are up learning all night, but it's a possibility <laughs> not. I, I I have not been there recently at 3:30 in the morning, so I'm not going to attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So the question um, with with regards to the percentages, you know, it all depends on what's currently existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as to what's being replaced, because at the same time, by replacing the fixtures, you know, you don't want to give up your light levels. So you right. may have to go to a higher wattage fixture in order to attain a level of light that that you know the the business owner is is comfortable with. Sure. You know, going to a retail store, obviously it has to be overlit. And if you tell them, okay, now you currently have, for example, 100 watts, we're going to put in 50 watts. You know, obviously it's a 50% savings, but he says, you know what, it's really not bright enough. So we'll say, okay, you know what, we'll give you 60 watts. We put a sample in, and he'll say, wow, okay, this is great. So he's not getting 50% savings; he's getting 40% savings. So it all varies on, you know, what the customer uh, is looking for and what they have existing. It's it's a whole formula that um, that we have that calculates, you know, the hours of operation, the existing wattage, what the replacement wattage is going to be, um, the price that they're paying per kilowatt hour, uh, and all those types of things. Right. So just just not to confuse the issue because we are running up against the hour. We're listening to Tech Talk with RE Lightstone. We have a special guest, Avi Assis from Lightwave Energy. Avi, how do people contact you if they're interested in finding out more? So they can visit our website at uh, www.lightwaveenergy.com, um, or they can email me directly at a s s e s s e s at lightwaveenergy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'll be more than happy to answer anybody's questions. Um, and the same thing, I you know we were talking about um, about uh, businesses and commercial. The, the big the big savings here for, for I would say for our, our listening audience would probably be for their homes as well. Um, you know, residential LEDs has also come a long long way. 
And whereas somebody may have a 60-watt or 100-watt bulb, you know, burning in their house, uh, in their fixtures, they can be replaced easily with, you know, a, an 11 to 15-watt bulb. And that will save them literally 60, 70% off their electric bill, not to mention the heat that the old incandescents give off. Right. So it, it'll save on the heat load. It'll save them from the air conditioning kicking in, you know, in the summertime. Uh, it'll save them. And it works. I mean, I, I can personally tell you I've changed, um, you know, all the, all the bulbs in my house are LEDs. And I've seen a nice drop on my uh, my electric bill. It's just it's just a numbers game, you know. If you're burning a hundred watt par 38, and now you're putting in an 18 watt par 38, well, you're using you know 82 percent less uh, less energy, so it's going to reflect on your bill. Right. That's awesome. So Avi, and we're sort of ran up against the time. I'd like to have you on again because I had the privilege of coming over to see one of these new LED. Um, uh, uh, Whatever that you would describe them. What do you describe them? Not the bulbs, but the actual fixture. The and panel. It, the pan, a the new, panel. A new, it's a new LED panel fixture that would replace a conventional two by four uh, prismatic lens fixture that you see everywhere. And it, fe- it felt like I was walking into like a you know the Jetsons. It was really incredible. It was the the light was phenomenal. And you're telling me I can save fifty to sixty percent on my energy bills, and I have the advantage of of getting some form of uh, tax or otherwise uh, uh, reduction moving forward. So I would encourage all of our audience to check out lightwaveenergy.com or to email ASS at lightwaveenergy.com, and you'll be able to see our link up on our website at Tech Talk. So, uh, Avi, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to hearing more about this uh, in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Avi. Uh, we're very excited that, uh, that uh, my uh, co-host, Michael Fragan, is here now with us. Hey, Michael. Hello, Arye. Nice to see you. Welcome to Tech Talk, everyone, and welcome to myself, I guess. I left a couple weeks off. So you've been ably, ably uh, expanding the reach of the show and getting fantastic guests. And I think uh, everything that we're looking for on the show is, is really happening as far as getting great entrepreneurs with great ideas, talking about them, and uh, bringing that over to Israel. So I think we have that in our next guest, in particular, Neil Edwards, who is the... Uh, President of Pango USA, and if you haven't heard of Pango out there, you're going to hear about it now. Pango is uh, short for pay and go, pay and go. There you go. If Rummy is looking at me, he's saying, wow, that's good. So, Neil, welcome to Tech Talk. Hey, Michael, thank you very much, and thank you very much, Avi. Looking forward to speaking with you guys today. So, uh, Neil, you're on with uh, me, Michael Fragan, and Arya Lightstone uh, here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network, sponsored by Adorama Camera, Adorama.com, more than just a camera store, as we say. And Neil, just by way of introduction, is a senior digital media executive who has 24 years of international experience in operating mobile Internet companies really throughout the world, Asia, Europe, the U.S., and a lot of the things that we use and take for granted, Neil has been involved in. And uh, give us a, give us an idea about how what Pango is. If you haven't used it, I've used it. So, but uh, for those of the listenership out there across the world, and we have listeners both in the U.S., Europe, and in Israel, uh, what what is it about Pango that makes it such a great app? Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Tango is one of those is one of those daily habit apps that is going to is in the next couple of years in the United States is really going to change the way drivers um, drivers um, park when they go to work or when they leave work. Um, basically, most simply, we're an app that allows you to find a parking place or to find a find the lowest cost garage when you're trying to park. 
And then when you go to park, it's very simple. You, you Once you're registered into the app, you just press the start button and you leave your car. And, you know, before your parking is up, you get an alert message that says, hey, you're about, your parking is about to expire. Um, and then when you finish your parking, you, um, you press the stop button. So it's, you know, it's pretty simple. It just changes the way people park. It, it helps us save time, save money, and is the ultimate inconvenience in trying to, um, to help people, you know, solve something that really hasn't changed too much. You know, since 1936, when they introduced parking meters. So you're you want to get rid of the meter, the classic meter that you drop the coin into. Sometimes turn that dial. You, you got that little sound there that everybody seems to love. That little click sound uh, of that spring, and you know that classic thing. You you guys just want to do away with that. Yeah, and you know the the reality is is that you know I I I, I came to Pango about a year and a half ago. Um, and I was, I didn't really understand too much about what had happened in Israel until I visited. And it's quite amazing. When you go to Israel today, you just do not see many parking meters or pay stations anywhere on the street. You know, in cities like Tel Aviv, you know, about 90% of the population pays for parking using their phone. You know, Pango is just a household brand name there, you know, just as, just as, you know, a Google or a, um, or Yahoo might be. So, you know, people use Pango in their everyday lives when they're driving to work, um, not only to pay for parking, but to pay for other things like car washes and gas and dinners. So, Wait, wait, dinners? Hold on, hold on, Neil. Let me just uh, stop you there. They're paying for dinner using Pango. Yeah, in Israel, you can actually use Pango to pay for a number of things. Wow. Okay, um, continue. Or, I just, I, I had to just make sure that I heard that correctly. Yeah. So, so what you'll find with Pango in the U.S., you know, for example, we just launched in Alexandria, Virginia last week. Um, as of today, we have about a thousand users on the system in Alexandria, um, and you know, we've done over two thousand parking sessions in about a week. So you know, you just see you know massive adoption quickly because it solves a real everyday problem, which is you know people people don't want to have to dig for change in their pockets. It's inconvenient. People also don't want to have to go to the pay station, you know, put money in the meter and then come back to their car, put a slip in their car. You know, we just make that whole part of life, you know, easy for people. And, um, you know, we're really excited about launching it here in the U.S. You know, Neil, I'd have to tell you that, uh, you know, having been to Israel, and it's a relatively high-strung place on occasion, you've now listed the three most aggravating things that I did today, and you've explained that they've now been eliminated. And, uh... (laughs) I mean, what, what, what a pleasure that could be uh, to be able to have that opportunity to, to do that. And, uh, and really, uh, credit to you and, and to the company for doing that. It would be interesting to see if there's been a psychological study on whether there's perhaps a little bit less road rage or uh, a little bit more patience at home with the kids when, when you're not dealing with some of those annoyances that, uh, that Pango's been able to, to clear up. Yeah, well, you know, seeing is believing. And, you know, when I've... I've been to Israel several times in the past year, and it's, it's quite amazing. You know, it's it's really part, you know, talk about, you know, paradigm shift. You know, it is part of the driving culture in Israel. I mean, you just pay with Pango. And if you think about it, think about, you know, where were pay phones, you know, 10 years ago? You had pay phones a lot of places. You don't see pay phones anywhere today. Um, where are parking meters going to be 10 years from now? 
you know, I don't want to predict that they're going to be gone, but I do want to predict very clearly that, you know, you know, the phone in your pocket is the device by which you use to find, find things more quickly, pay for things more easily, and be notified about things that are important to you urgently. And when you think about parking, it just fits that criteria of, you know, something you do in your park, something that you, you, you use every day, right? I want to find a parking place. How can I find, find, you know, the space the most quickly? How can I pay for it the most quickly? How can I avoid a ticket? And if you want to think about it, think about this. Think about how crazy is this. You know, today you prepay for parking um, basically based on a guess of the amount of time that you want to have, right? So sure. I want to spend, so I want to, so I don't know how long my meeting's going to be. I'm going to put two hours, two hours worth of quarters in the, um, in the meter. You know, in New York City, that's going to be about $8 in parking charges. You know, the beauty of Pango is that you only pay for the time that you use. So we really help, you know, people just feel like they're not being ripped off by paying for more time than they use. And, um, that's just a great, it's a great tool for, you know, for, making your life more simple. So Neil, that actually leads me to a two, uh, two specific questions on on Pango and the adoption and the adoption curve with regard to Pango. But uh and we're talking to Neil Edwards, the president of Pango USA. Pango a fantastic parking app that allows you to park from your phone, use your phone to pay that pesky meter that you might not have change for or go to get get that little ticket that everybody seems to lose that you put in your windshield. Uh, Neil, two questions. Number one, what about the people who don't have smartphones, who don't carry smartphones? Okay, then there are people out there uh, who don't have them. And number two, and uh, is with regard to those that are actually selling the parking, meaning mostly municipalities, aren't they getting shortchanged? Don't they rely on the revenue, not just from the overpayment of meters, meaning people pe- paying for more time than they actually need, but also the fact that they rely on tickets. They want people to get tickets, right? Well, you know, two good questions. First of all, you know, the beauty of Pango is that we we allow you to use the system either from a smartphone app, and probably about 90% of the users use a smartphone app just because it's more interactive and it's, and it's a lot, it's very easy to use. The other 10% of the users will use our voice response system. Um, and, and, you know, literally they have their phone number plugged into their speed dial. And when you, when you call our 1-855 number, what happens is it remembers what your default city is. Then it asks you what zone do you want to park in. And quite frankly, it's probably just about as quick as our, um, as our app is in terms of using it. And you, um, you know, so we, we support both you know, smartphones or non-smartphones in terms of users. The um, the second thing you asked was, you know, how do cities benefit? And that's a great question. You know, when you look at cities and parking, you know, there is no such of a thing as free parking. The, the reality is, is that parking costs businesses and citizens, regardless of whether they charge for it or not. Um, and when you look at the revenue of cities, usually for every $1 of parking revenue generated, there's between three and five dollars of citation revenue generated, you know, both from parking and other citations. So, you know, when we look at Pango and what do we help cities do, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. 
One, we help cities increase their revenues. Um, why do we help cities increase their revenues? The, it's, it's a very known, well-known fact and documented by the data that when company, when cities allow for Pango to be used, um, their short-term parking transactions increase because today, quite honestly, and you can do your own do your own market survey, go and look at how many people pay for 15-minute or less parking sessions. Most people cheat and don't pay the quarter or the dime because you know it's 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 a it, they think it's a safer bet for them just not to, um, to to risk getting a ticket. But we actually help cities, you know, get back short-term parking transactions because Pango makes it easy. You only pay for what you use. The other facts are that most people, when you actually look at the look at all the data about parking, most people who actually their their length of stay for parking in a metered space it's somewhere between 55 minutes and 120 minutes. So, you know, in fact, most, and when most people are prepaying parking, they usually prepay for about an hour and then come back just to feed the meter for more for the average guy. So what you find with Tango is that we actually help cities increase parking, parking revenues because most people will just let the meter run until the maximum rate, until the maximum stay period, and then if the city allows for them to recharge through Pango, then they'll do it remotely. So we actually help, you know, help cities increase revenue that way. In terms of cost, you know, this is another thing to really consider. When you look at the infrastructure cost for either a, for either a meter on the street or a pay station, you know, you're really talking about a capital cost of about, you know, we're depending upon the meter and the functionality with it, between $600 and $800 per parking space. Or if you're talking about one of those pay stations that service 10 to 20 parking spaces, those range from eight to ten thousand dollars per meter. So, you know, the cost of Pango, quite honestly, is the cost of a sign. And you know, we make our money through a, a very low-cost transaction fee that the consumer pays. So, we actually help cities reduce their cost over the long tail going into the future, and you know, give them a lot more flexibility. Um, now, can they continue to use their existing meter system alongside Pango? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we, you, we, so you don't have a minimum amount that you of money that you need to make or a minimum amount of meters that no, you need to we service? Come into, we come into cities, and, you know, my famous words to cities are, look, you know, try Pango for free because we guarantee you you're going to love it so much that, that your drivers are never going to want to leave us because we're the lowest cost solution out there. For citizens and cities, we produce, we produce the highest amount of features, and we just have the greatest service for our for our municipalities or our partners. And you know, we we tell cities, you know, don't change your meters, don't change anything that you have today. Install Pango, make it another option. We actually hook our databases up to the parking meter companies, who, by the way, are our partners, and there's some really great partners out there. And we actually share data back and forth to the parking meter companies. So we truly, you know, kind of, we're kind of the glue, if you will, between all the different systems that cities use to manage their parking and enforcement resources. And we actually make cities much smarter by doing that. And it doesn't cost the city a dime. It's like a total benefit of our system. Let me let me jump in with one question because Michael mentioned that municipalities are cities. What about the municipalities or cities that sold off? Their parking, uh, 
rights or the parking meters to other private equity firms or whoever else it would be. Have you seen that that's a challenge? Do they cooperate with you, or that's really not as big of a deal uh, as at least it was made out in the paper maybe three, four years ago? Well, you know, that's a good question. You know, Chicago is the famous example of a municipality auctioning off its, um, you know, auction off its parking asset. You know, for us, quite honestly, guys, it doesn't make a difference. We we work either with private parking operators or with municipalities. What the the benefit that Pango brings is that we bring, you know, absolute 100% accountability of of revenue collection and more convenience for the consumer, and actual data now that parking companies can look at to understand who their customers are and and how their systems are being used. Um, you know, to date, we have not done any deals, you know, for full disclosure with any of the privatized cities yet, but, you know, there's really no difference to us. I mean, our benefits are the same, and um, deal structures are all the same. So the other day I was in uh, the other day I was in Tampa, Florida, and I saw a sign for a company called Park Mobile. So give us an idea that I, I assume Park Mobile was a competition for Pango, uh, yeah. just just for having looked at that. So give us a rundown on the competition. What else is out there? What do you What are your challenges? What are you coming up against when you're when you're out there with this app? And what makes Pango, in your view, and I'm sure many of the users view the best app out there. And it doesn't make sense for people to have multiple apps or even for a city to have multiple apps and offer multiple apps. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and in fact, I've been in Tampa before and I used Park Mobile um, when I had to take a family relative to the hospital. Okay, I hate to having outed you like that. I apologize. Yeah, no, no. But no, I've actually used it. Do the guys in Israel know about that? I just, just, just making sure. You know, that's... No, and they actually have a good product, too. Okay. Um, And, you know, basically, you know, you're asking a really, you know, really um, insightful question of, you know, pay by phone, what's the difference, you know, between different different providers? And there are a few providers out there. You know, really, the differences are are pretty simple. One, and I, you know, I don't want to speak ill of my competitors, you know, but if you look at what we offer – you know, basically, we offer more, much more than just pay by phone. You know, for the consumer and for the city. When we come into when we come into a to a consumer, and a consumer starts the Pango experience, you know, literally, you know, in the first the first thing that they'll notice when they download our app is that, you know, for example, we have availability of all garages in in most major cities in the U.S. along with their prices. So we. We have content within our mapping app that is very targeted towards keeping the audience of the consumer, um, you know, or informed about parking and other local-based offers. You know, we have a couponing system in our in our product that we're rolling out right now too. So, so no, one big difference between us and, and other competitors are, you know, it's not only about payment; it's about content and local offers related to where you're parking, okay? That's one huge difference. Most of the other pay-by-phone companies only allow you to pay for parking within a parking place where you're located. That's one difference. Second difference is the the breadth of payments that we provide. So we not only do metered parking, we do event-based parking, monthly permits, garage parking where we actually raise and lower gates in a gated in a gated um, parking lot, 
we have a license plate reader system where, you know, we literally raise and lower gates. You know, if you, as long as your license plates register our system and, and someone goes to a garage where they have our LPR camera, you don't even have to bring pull out your app to open the gate. It just opens because of the, the reader reads your license plate. So it's the breadth of different parking experiences we provide. <clears throat> you know, in terms of the city experience, um, you know, we actually come in and tell cities, again, that we fit, you know, we make our system fit your city. We don't make you fit, fit our software. And, you know, we do a high level of customizations. We have an, we have an open API database in our product. We integrate into any of the enforcement systems, the revenue control systems, all those types of systems that you never see as a consumer behind the scenes. But if you wonder about, well, hey, how do, how do I know how many coins were in this meter on the state or, you know, how many parking tickets were issued, you know, against this parking place? There are systems out there that track that. And as you can imagine, you know, cities have a plethora of different systems that they have to manage. We come in and give them one reporting tool and integrate all of those things into one, which is a big difference between what we do. Final thing is on cost. Quite honestly, we're the one of the, we're the lowest cost provider out there, and we're the lowest cost because we have a platform that's been developed, um, you know, tried and true, you know, over in Israel for the last you know ten years. Um, we're not coming with a new technology. We have a technology that you know is built and scales, and you know we don't have to have a company with 100, 100 or more people to operate it. You know, we we, we operate it very cost effectively, which at the end of the day you know, determines, you know, how much, you know, a company has to charge for its service. So we're a much more profitable company than most of the competition out there and much more quickly and quicker moving. We're talking to Neil Edwards, uh, the president of Pango USA, the parking app that is ubiquitous in Israel. And this is Tech Talk, hosted by Michael Fragan and Arya Lightstone, sponsored by Adorama Camera, Adorama.com, 42 West 18th Street, between 5th and 6th Avenues, right here in New York City. So, Neil, this might be outside of your bailiwick, but, but give us, we touched, you're touching a little bit on the technology, or I guess the superiority of Pango's technology. But tell me how, what went into this, uh, was this just kind of, Couple guys, post army, kind of tinkering around, saying, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could pay for with our phones for the the you know, annoying parking meters?" Kind of as you alluded to in the beginning, or was there more to this? Does this take a tremendous amount of technological know-how to create an app like this? Well, you know, it, it's a you know, it's a combination of you know some very innovative people who looked at a problem and actually patented. The, the science behind the technology years before there was ever pay by phone anywhere in the world. So one of our founders, Slimo Zeichman, actually, you know, patented the technology back in 1997 and 1999. Um, uh, so this is a little older than we might think. Yeah, the actual patents for the company actually go back to, you know, the you know the 1999 here in the United States. And, you know, if you do your research on patents, You'll find there aren't any, there are not any other patents that, um, that really, you know, encapsulated the business process around pay by phone. So, you know, one, we had some, you know, the genesis of any good company, right, is what was the, the, who was the 
creator and the innovator behind and, and when was it done? Um, you know, and, and, and Tango can literally say we were the first company to do that. Number two, um, in terms of the technology, um, can any, but can two guys in a garage literally slap together a pay by phone app to show that you can pay for metered based parking and make it work? Um, yeah, the answer is absolutely. Can two guys in a garage do it in a way so that they can support millions of transactions in hundreds of cities in a secure manner? The answer is no. And what you have with Pengo is literally, you know, the, you know, the years of experience, not only around innovation and creativity, but actually having been there and done it and rewritten the systems over and over and over to make sure that our, our systems do not fail. And they just roll out. I mean, in a case in point, we rolled out Alexandria, Virginia, um, you know, at the beginning of last Monday, December 9th. It took us about, you know, probably about a week of real work to put that city together. But it just rolled out. There wasn't a lot just of a drama. week. That, that it's a yeah. week. Wow. Yeah, just a week. You know, of real work. Now, you know, there's a lapse time in there because you have to wait on people for deliveries, deliverables, and approvals, and creating of signs and things like that. But really, you know, Pango just works, and you know, we have very few support calls. You know, the system is so automated; it doesn't require a lot of people. And um, you know, we have police officers. You know, we have 25 police officers every day in Alexandria now. You know, checking cars and, and running license plates to see if they're paid or not. You know, we have over a thousand users using the system. How, how does that know? work with the police officers? They they have they use a camera. What what's what are they? How are um, they doing they, the enforcement? Yeah, they you know depending on the city, they'll either use an app on their phone that we provide, or they'll use a device um, for for writing tickets. Um, a popular device among police officers is a is, is from a company called Duncan, and the device is called the AutoSight device, and that device actually links into our database, and you know they just they just use it. It's just like the app that they can use on their phone, and then and then you also have a, a, a kind of a next generation of devices that allow for um, you know that allow for your license plate recognition reading. And we actually integrate with a company, one company, there's several we integrate with. It's called Genetech, and they have, they, if you ever see the meter maids with a camera on their, their cars reading license plates, you know, they read it, and then they hit our database and come back with a paid or not paid on the car if they're in the Pango database. Wow, it's that simple. Okay, we're almost out of time, Neil. I want to throw out one more question, is when do we get to Pango or a Pango-type app being embedded in a car? So you that know, it's automatic. We're, we're actually in several discussions with different with different you know automobile manufacturers. Um, what you see happening in in you know technology, especially in this area, is moving so quickly that you know most of the automobile makers are charged, are placing bets on a number of different initiatives, and you know we're in most of those initiatives and discussions right now. I think you know it's safe to say those places with open with open platforms where you can get access to a lot of different apps will probably be the ones that win and you know we plan to be in all those places so 
So I think it's fair to say that within a couple of years, we might be able to say goodbye to the expired meter parking ticket. Yeah, that's that's our hope. That's our vision. You know, we seem to be doing a pretty good job of it, seeing that we've only been in the United States now for about a year. So, you know, we're really excited about what's happening, you know, in New York and, you know, around the country with Pango. I I very much needed you yesterday, and, and frankly, my wife needs you almost every week at around Wednesday. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, we're, we're very much looking forward to that. I, ca- I can't even you know calculate what I'm going to do with all my extra income in a couple of years from now. So that's very exciting. So, what does it take for a a individual municipality or a parking lot or the like to to adopt Pango? Um, you know, honestly, to adopt Pango, it's a very simple process. You know, it usually takes a, you know, a day or two to put a contract together and then a few weeks to, to actually plan the system so that it fits their system. But it's a very lo- low level of effort. And the benefit is we do all the work. We produce the signs. We do the training. We do the marketing rollout. And, um, yeah, it's just a, a nice, fun process to allow cities to, to kind of come into the 21st century with real systems that work. Fantastic. Neil Edwards, the president of Pango USA, and I think certainly you can tell people, no matter where you are in Israel, if you go to Israel, you load the Pango app before you get to Israel, or you load it when you get there. How do you set that up? Um, you can do it either way. Either do- way. Okay, so you should have that Pango app just uh, because you never know when you might not be near one of those little pay stations. You might not have handy, you know, the one or two uh little shekel coins or the five shekel coins that you need to go ahead and pay for parking uh, in Israel City. So really fantastic app. Thanks for the discussion, Neil. This is really, really great. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate your time today. Look forward to coming back on the show and giving you an update at some point. Thanks, and we are looking forward to Pango coming to a street corner near you. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Have a a great day. You too. This is Tech Talk here. I'm Michael Fragan here with uh, Arya Lightstone and wrapping up another – Week of discussion of technology, Israel, and the like. And really, are you a fantastic app, wouldn't you say? Absolutely outstanding. Outstanding. Good. Great. Fantastic. So sponsored by Adorama.com, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Looking forward.